I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to Lama Surya Das's Awakening Now podcast. This podcast is an expression of our shared connection. We depend on you, our community of listeners, for support. Please go to mindpodnetwork.com slash suryadas and you can either click on the donate button or bookmark the Amazon link. We get a small percentage of all of your purchases. Or you can go and sign up for a free trial with Audible.com. Your support will allow Lama Suryadas to continue to illuminate the timeless Tibetan wisdom. When we practice this natural meditation or Dzogchen meditation, Trekjud, seeing through, being through, just being through and through, Trekjud. We practice according to the ancient, yet timeless tradition. How many have become enlightened, what we call, rather than the way of austerity, or the way of philosophy, or the way of yoga, we call it the easy, comfy way the lazy man's way, or the lazy person's way, Lelo Chen the lazy person's way, the way of being, not doing. It's tempting, and yet it's simple but not so easy. It's tempting and simple but not necessarily so easy because we're rather complicated. It's hard to undo the tangled habit of overdoing. We're so conditioned to. It's hard to undo overdoing. So we practice in this way according to the instructions of non-meditation, according to the view of things just as they are. As Buddha said, there is nirvanic peace in things just as they are. Leave it as it is. That's the sort of idea of non-attachment. 
the idea of equanimity, the idea of one taste or impartiality, and so forth. All of these Buddhist technical words with different stories attached to them and different valences and associations, but all coming down to the same thing, but leaving it as it is, non-attachment. The practice of freedom, of allowing things to go as they go. Not just their freedom, who cares about them? But our freedom, freedom from getting hooked and carried away. Freedom from our conditioning, habitual conditioning, to want and diswant attachment and aversion, the basic poisons at the center of the wheel of becoming. Greed and aversion. I want, I don't want, it's really the same. I want, because then it'll make me happy. I want not, because then it'll make me happy. To, to get rid of it, push it away. We're based on the delusion that we need something or unneed something, that things are going to change for the better according to our ego. So greed, hatred, and delusion. Greed, hatred, and delusion are the basic three poisons at the center of the wheel of becoming in Buddhist iconography. The six realms in the center, greed, hatred, and delusion. The pig, the rooster, and the snake, symbolically. So here we practice letting go of our conditioning and doing something different. Instead of thinking about the future and what we're going to do and get and become and avoid and plan and fantasize and how great we're going to feel then, or worrying about it and how bad we're going to feel then, or similarly about the past, fretting about the past, I shoulda, coulda, woulda, or they shoulda, shoulda, shouldn't have, whatever. Being more present and accounted for because what we seek is right here. What we need is right here. The problem is we're usually elsewhere, not very present. We're usually elsewhere, distracted, dissociated, or worse, inebriated and asleep at the wheel of our lives. Asleep at the wheel of our lives, and therefore having all kinds of accidents, so-called. Although there aren't really no accidents. Everything has causes. So we practice awareness, cultivation, Cultivation of mindfulness, awareness, presence, being more present, an objective kind of detachment, seeing things as equal as they go by, not like in our general life where we pick and choose and strategize and plan and, and optimize and maximize and, and minimize and try to find the best way or the quickest way or, you know, what, the easiest way, whatever it is that we're, we're driven by our, dream, our, dri our drives and our conscious and unconscious drives and semi-conscious drives and so on. Our patterns, our conditioning, habitual conditioning. Undoing that by relying on awareness alone. Awareness is curative. Just seeing, seeing through the illusions, the, the, the forms, the dreamlike phenomena, and being. Seeing, seeing through, and being. Three in one, like three in one oil, three steps to freedom. But not just seeing with the eyes, more deeply, experiencing, recognizing, and allowing or releasing, three in one. Not getting hooked not smelling the bait, biting it and getting hooked and pulled out of our element and dying like a fish. Yes, smelling, but not being baited. There's a difference. That's where you can cut the habit. Yes, 
hearing the nice sounds, let's say bird sound, but not going down the path of, oh, nice bird sound, auspicious bird sound, sound of the Dharma, we must be meditating well here, conference of the birds, and so forth. Blah, blah, blah. A lot of static from the point of view of pure awareness. Of course, there's nothing wrong with that. But how much energy do we give to it? That's the thing. Or hearing something we don't like, traffic sound, truck noise, and we go, oh, fucking truck noise. Why don't they drive here later when we're not meditating? Why don't they get a new muffler? Well, whatever. If I had earplugs, then I'd be happy. Has anybody ever been in a samadhi tank, a sensory deprivation tank? Anybody? It's not so quiet in there either, or in a cave. And I'm not even talking about your thoughts. You hear your pulse, your blood beating in your ears, and other things, your stomach gurgling, you know, other things you hear. So what are you going to do with those? I mean, where can you go where you don't see, hear, feel, think, and so on? So that's running in the wrong direction, friends. The question is, how much are you baited by these things? You see the light, but do you plunge into it and die like a moth in the flame? You smell the salt, but do you go and lick it and get shot by the hunter like the deer? And so on. You see the worm wriggling? Ooh, nice worm. Ooh, I like her. But do you bite? Do you swallow it hook, line, and sinker and get pulled out of your element to your death? Are you deceived by that sensory phenomena? The more aware you are, the more you can see the, the bait, the worm, the wriggling, the sinuous, beautiful, sexy wriggling or whatever, and you smell it. And, may, and you enjoy it, but you don't have to bite. You don't have to swallow it hook, line, and sinker. That's where you can detach with objective clarity. So similarly, things arise in consciousness. It's not what happens to us, but what we, how, how, what we make of them, how we react, that makes all the difference. It's not what happens to us, what arises, but how we react, that makes all the difference. That determines our experience, our karma, our fate, our destiny, our character. That's universal law, not just Buddhism. It's not the cards you dealt, but how you play them that determines the outcome of the hand or the game, more or less, of course. So this is the practice of freedom, of seeing through momentary, impermanent, illusory appearances, outer and inner, phenomenal and noumenal mind stuff. Remembering the Buddhist mantra, oh, this too shall change. Everything is impermanent. The bird song is nice, good, but it's going to stop anyway. Not to get too excited and elated about it and disappointed when it stops. Same with the truck noise or somebody next to you coughing or whatever ha happens that gives rise to aversion. That's going to stop too. Remembering the mantra, this too shall pass. All is impermanent, this too shall pass. There's a beautiful native Indian song translated in English, it's something like, everything is impermanent, everything dies, nothing remains, even the mountains and the sun. I thought that was pretty awesome for people 
without written language for a so-called primitive people, the Native Americans. Everything passes, everything dies, even the mountains and the sun. How did they know that? Without computers, without Hubble telescopes, without Big Bang cyclotrons and Higgs boson things. <laughs> things. <laughs> Technical jargon. <laughs> Stuff. I listen to NPR. I've graduated from Reader's Digest. Now I get my science from NPR mainly. <laughs> everything passes, everything changes, everything dies, nothing remains. But it's a song. It's life. It's not just sad. You know, it's also everything is born. Things come and go. It's not just death. Every day there's birth also, the miracle of birth and the ongoingness. There's a lot more to it than that. So let's remember that and not be so um, hooked. Shempa, as Pema Children likes to call it, Shempa, hooked, hookedness by whatever attracts or, or uh, repulses us. So in this practice, we practice just awareness alone, being aware of whatever arises, whatever momentarily arises in the body-mind continuum in the present moment, being aware and letting it come and go. Letting go. The essence of letting go is not suppressing and repressing things, not stuffing it down, not turning it off, ignoring, and also not getting carried away, caught up in indulging in chains of discursive thinking, just ta getting tangled up in barbed wire chains of discursive thinking. Sound, sight, feeling, smell, touch, thought, to just come and go. That's the show. That's the Easter parade of Dharmakaya awareness. That's the proper function of awareness, to hear and to see and to know and to feel and to sense. So then when we enter into activity in life, we can use that information from our intelligence agents in the field to determine our course. Right now, we're doing something a little different than determining our course. We're taking a different way, a more... Um, we are determining our course, but we're not going anywhere. There's a difference here. We're gonna, we're gonna be more proactive, determining our course, not just reactive, going wherever we're pulled or chased. There's a difference. So our course here is the here and now, not just how to get from here to there, not just how to get from here across the ocean of suffering, samsara to there, the island, the continent of enlightenment, as in traditional progressive path thinking. Not just how to get from here to there, but how to get from here to truly and totally here. That's the question that this non-dual or direct access enlightenment now path asks. How to be here while getting there every step of the way, not waiting. How to make every step of the way the great way. Every step of the way to heaven, heaven. How to realize that. Not, it doesn't change anything outwardly. How to realize it. That changes everything for oneself, for the realizer. It's not different things we need to see, but a different way of seeing and being that we need. A new view, a new vision. So that's what we're practicing here. Not just sitting and doing nothing. Doing nothing is also an act, an action. Staying in bed all day is also an activity. It has karmic repercussions. It's not doing nothing. You're actually doing something. I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying that it's not doing nothing. In fact, it's almost impossible to do nothing. It may be impossible to do nothing. I don't know. So 
We're being a little more choiceful and intelligent about what we're doing here. And we're undoing the habit of overdoing and trying to find the middle way between doing and being. We're so busy on the treadmill of events, staggering forward under the momentum of our conditioning, like a gerbil on a wheel. But worse, the treadmill of events and keep staggering. At least the gerbil on the wheel, if you stop running or paddling, the wheel stops. But not with the treadmill of conditioning. You've got to keep running, otherwise you fall on your face. Uh, it's tiring, isn't it? Anybody feel that? Desperate, tired, worn out from unfulfilling habits and conditioning. So we're looking into reconditioning and deconditioning, positive reconditioning, and ultimately deconditioning, freedom. Drawing up our karmic seeds, smoothing out our, the knots in our energy channels and chakras so everything is just flow. Free flow, not in ruts, in particular ruts and getting hung up in certain places. So with this practice, we are getting in tune with the natural flow of awareness and becoming more aware, cultivating awareness and stabilizing our view and our objective clarity and detachment gradually. Resting in the view, nothing more to do, regardless of what is seen. Resting in the view, seeing through everything as it arises. Seeing through and recognizing as impermanent and ownerless and so forth. Dreamlike, illusory, all momentary appearances, phenomena and noumena. I hope this is clear. That's why it says in the Diamond Sutra that I recommended last night, if you like to study little Buddhist scriptures, the Heart Sutra is one page. Diamond Sutras, three or four pages, where it gives the eight or maybe it's the 12 similes of illusion that Buddha said to see the world like bubbles passing on a fast-moving stream, like drops of dew on blades of grass evaporating at dawn, like a rainbow in the sky, like a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, like a candle flickering in strong wind, Guttering candle could go out at any moment. Candle flickering in strong wind. Like phantoms, mirage, hallucination, and like a dream. Echoes and like a dream. That's strong stuff to call to mind, the 12 similes of illusion. Even if you just remember a couple, you know, like mirage, like fantasy, like a dream, like echoes, like a dream, it's a good reminder not to grasp, not to hold on to, not to squeeze too tight to that which in any case is passing through our fingers. It's in our higher self-interest to let go a little of that which is passing through our fingers. Otherwise, you get rope burn. The more you cling, the more irritation. The more lightly you hold it, the less irritation. So as Blake sang, kiss the joy as it flies and live in eternity's sunrise. He who binds to himself a joy doth the winged life destroy. He who clings, he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. William Blake about the joy of non-attachment and yet enjoying the evanescent. He who kisses the joy as it flies or whatever he said. So this is our practice. We're not just sitting and doing nothing. 
cultivating awareness, stabilizing the view, resting in non-meditation, enjoying the view, the bigger picture, the natural state, things just as they are, not as we would like them to be. Non-meditation, we call it. Buddhahood through non-meditation, as the late Dujarimpache called it. Magam Sanjay, Buddhahood without meditation, without concentration, without visualization, without explicit spiritual forms, being one with everything, being nothing and thus being everything, having room for everything, one with everything. So any questions, please? Okay, Alice, we got a live one over here, Alice. Yeah, I'm alive just today. Barely? Yeah. So we have a live one, a um, live one. I would like you to talk about, in the Om Mani Padme Hung, pre-HRI, what does that mean? Um, Om Mani Padme Hung is imagined as a, a dharani or a mantra circle or a mandala, and in the center, like the root of it is free. Like, if, if, if you looked at it from the point of view of chakras, there are seven chakras on the central channel. The Hri is like the central channel, and the mantra wheel goes around it. Like the axis? Yeah. So Hri is the seed syllable of compassion, or Avalokiteshvara. There's a lot of ways to look at it. From the point of view of the yogic or energy body, then Hri is the central axis that the mantra or chakras are arrayed upon. And each mantra syllable, each letter is a different color, and... It's a different of the six realms. Think about the six realms, the six syllables, the six Buddhas in each realm, liberating them. So when we chant Om Mani Padme Hung and the mantra goes around, it circulates, it's like liberating one, one syllable. Om is the God's realm and like that. For each of the six, you liberate, you, you pray, you're visualizing, you're liberating the, the each of the six realms, the realms of desire and hatred and pride and ignorance and jealousy and so on. In your vast uh, array of books, is it anywhere in there that I've missed? Probably not. You know, my vast array of books, I don't think I'm teaching much about Vajrayana or chakras. There's, well, there's a, one book that talks has gifts of whatever with all the long talks that you've given. I thought maybe it would be in there. The Dharma talks? It might yeah. be. I don't know. Is it? I don't know. Thank you. Maybe it'll be in my vast array of next books. <laughs> Why, do you have more questions about it, or what are you thinking about? There are books about Omani Padme Hung that explain the outer, inner, secret, and you know, secret innermost levels of practicing that. So it might be, there's, there's a lot of stuff in those kind of teachings. It has been with me for about 20 years when I went into a, a shop long before I even thought of Buddhism. And the young man gave me the little folder with the Omani Padme Hum and it had Hri on the end of it. Yes. And this is the first time since in all these years and all the reading I've done and listening to you that I have actually heard someone you sing mm -hmm. this and comment about it. So that's why I wanted the explanation. It's kind of like the access or the hole at the center of the spoked wheel. It's kind of like the emptiness that, has, that makes all the spokes and the, and the axle turn, you know, around the, the central, the thing that doesn't turn. It's the thing that doesn't turn at the center of the turning wheel.
So I could ask Drew for references. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Drew's levitating. Me? What did I do? <laughs> These are esoteric Vajrayana matters, Alice. I wouldn't get too caught up in the details, but it's a pleasure. There's a lot there if that's your style. Like if you practice Avalokiteshvara's meditation for months and years, then, you know, there's a lot that one could unfold and get into. Doesn't Tinley Norbu Rinpoche have a book called, by Pacho Rinpoche, called The Something Around the Dharma That's Sweet in the Beginning, Middle, and End, about the 84 verses of Omani Pemihung? I think so. I think so. Tinley Norbu. I want to thank you for the phrase of undoing the habit of overdoing. That's a, a habit I've cultivated. Um, Me quite, too. Quite actively. Well, should I say, shame on you. <laughs> I'm shocked. I, I'm struck by that phrase alongside of uh, an off-heard comment, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. You know, that there's a... I'm really good at it, so a lot, a lot tends to come my way. I, I hold the question about that, or the, the aspiration to undo that habit, right alongside an awareness of how much there genuinely is to be done. Absolutely, there is. Again, the balance, the middle way, balancing doing and being. It doesn't mean it has to be 50-50. It has to average out. I, yeah, okay. It does average out. <laughs> I don't know if it has to. The has to sounds a little heavy on oneself. It, it does average out. And the way to know that... It's like the two sides of the brain. Does it average out or do you have to be pushing and pulling with your, <laughs> with your scalpel or your, I don't know what, your, you know, your, your wooden meat tenderizer, you know, <laughs> or head and heart. And some people see more head and some more heart, but that averages out too. It's not just you. And who says there's only two? You're just looking at the two-ness. Maybe there's three. I mean, how many pieces, does the, how many pieces are there in a, in a, in a pizza pie? <laughs> how many? You have the cutter. How many? Six. Good. Very good. We'll give you a gong for that. 50%. (laughs) And is there an anchovy in the center? (laughs) Okay, back to you. You're a serious student. I like you, so ignore me and my jokes. That sounds like a koan, though. How yes. Many slices and yes, so, that's right. <laughs> the answer is as many as you need, but, but could or, or six. <laughs> well, that was a good answer in the context of what we've been talking about. I mean, why not six? Any number. Mm-hmm. That's what Trungpa said. It's like trying to cut up, slice up the sky. Did that just make two skies? Anyway, um, I like the way you're thinking. You're a good student. Are you an old-time Zen student or what? You seem to be on the beam here. Right. Very good. It's very important, since we're talking about important question uh, which you raised about, and yet there seems like a lot to do or that needs doing. 
right? That's what you said, and that's what, I mean, I mean, we could all say that. In fact, that's what comes up when you hear there's no way to go and nothing to do, and then you think, and this world is in such a mess. We want to do something. Somebody needs to do something. There's plenty to do, you know, however it comes to you, right? Or, I've done my part, now it's their turn. <laughs> you know, I gave it the office. However it comes to you, there's plenty to do. So I think it's important to answer your question. Not to try not to do what needs to be done. Well, just do what needs to be done. Don't try not to do what needs to be done. Just do what needs to be done and let go. Because most of us are trying to do as much as possible. That's different than do what needs to be done. Some of us are trying to do as little as possible. That's our strategy as a reaction. That's different than to just do what needs to be done. You see what I'm saying? So just do what needs to be done is actually profound. Would that we could do that. It implies also knowing what needs to be done. Not too much and not too little. So there's plenty to do, so feel free to do it. Whatever the do means. In fact, you know, if you really look at who's doing what, then it kind of frees the problem. There's no, you know, it's all happening anyway, with or without you, and you, you know, no one can do it all, but no one's exempt from participating. Um, I'm going to say plenty this week about the non-doing and the non-meditation, and you will uh, find what you need in it. It will all balance out, I guarantee you. You. I don't know about you. You. <laughs> That's why asking the right question is often better than getting some kind of arriving at some kind of right, probably too easy, simplistic answer. Yeshe, since you volunteered and you gave a good, a bold, audacious, good answer, it, 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 it's like your answer is excellent. It's like the, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of ways of telling this story, but the zookeeper who had a revolution because the monkeys weren't happy with their one nut in the morning and two in the evening, or acorn or whatever it was, you know. So he, he solved the problem by giving them two in the evening and one, two in the morning and one in the evening. Then they were happy. <laughs> there's only so much. I mean, there's only this, this much. What are you going to do with it? <laughs> okay, we're getting very abstract here. I'm sorry. <laughs> so this is um, it's a beginning, but yet beginner question. Yet it's um, very relative. Uh, it's, um, it's I guess all the way. What's the difference? in my experience, um, between recognize what needs to be, you know, let's say, wrong, something, you know, in terms of feeling anger, versus just getting pissed off. You know, getting... Uh, I lost you. Recognizing what needs to be wrong? What needs to be fixed, or okay. something, you know. Recognizing what wrong. needs to be f fixed or wrong? What are we talking uh, about? Maybe what needs to be fixed, like you've mentioned before in teachings that um, anger does have a wisdom to it in mm -hmm. terms of recognizing, you know, something is clearly it's wrong. just, yeah, right. it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And yet, is a, it can, um, riding that little too, uh, let's say, you know, strongly, let's say, or getting right. lost in it, then it veers into just getting pissed off and, uh, right. and anger and, and so forth. So well, where's a... But all the tantric teachings and teachers and wrathful deities, somehow it never tr is translated as pissed off. 
So there must be a difference between wrathful anger and pissed off fucking pissed <laughs> shit face. There must be a difference. You remember the story with Buddha and the snakes? And the Korean village boys? Do I have to tell the whole boring, long story? You just got a clue from your brother there. I think I remember he, part he of it. He hissed. He hissed. <laughs> After the snake comes all beaten up and ragged from the stupid Korean village boys, naughty village boys, this is just the punchline. Buddha said, I didn't tell you not to hiss. That's wrath. Nonviolence doesn't mean just to be a doormat. You can still hiss. You can feel angry. You can make a face. You can swell up and scare them. You still haven't performed any violence. That's the wrathful side. You with me? So there's a difference. So when you see something wrong, like a child being abused or somebody being mugged in the street, you're supposed to feel a, a, a surge of adrenaline and anger and, and scream and rush to do something. That's not being pissed, exactly. You could say it is, but you know, that's wrathful, protective, selfless Buddha activity. Like screaming when your kid runs out in the street. You're supposed to scream as loud and as fast as you can not mindfully whisper and send up some smoke signals to them so you don't disturb the, the local meditators. No. You with me? Yeah. So the intelligence, the wisdom of anger is that it sees what's wrong. That's not the same as violence. Now how you react to that surge is very important whether you're just pissed and you react to retaliate in kind, or you're like a wrathful protective deity taking the skillful path of, you know, the lesser of many evil choices and the most effective. But don't get confused now when we're talking at the level of undoing the habit of overdoing, of the meditation, of non-meditation, of not act-doing but being, just being in... in meditation with now you're talking about the world of action and reaction and karma and repercussions where you if you know I don't know if the car breaks down you fix it I mean you might throw it out but you know what I'm saying when you break down along the road do you just sit there is that the time for just sitting there or do you fix it we'll call AAA to fix it so that's part of the great perfection of doing what needs to be done not more, and not less. You don't just sit there and say, I'm not going anywhere and there's nowhere to go and nowhere to get, and who cares if I get to, I don't know, my, my daughter's wedding or not. No, it matters to some people a lot. So you fix it. But now we're practicing in a sacred manner, in a special environment. Is there any other thing we could do besides react? As we are good at reacting, that's mostly all we ever do. In, in a way, the word karma should be translated as reaction. That's what it is. It's not really action and reaction. Or rea you know, it's really reaction. 
that makes karmic uh, seeds and all that. So there is a time for fixing things or repairing what's wrong, to use your words. But in this view is not the time. Now we're practicing, adding some view. We've already grown up adding and growing and practicing action, mostly, right? Action and reaction. So we're good at road rage or flipping the bird in traffic. But who has practiced smiling and wishing them well in traffic? Almost no one. So we're doing something else now to balance. And then when we have balance, then we can do either, you know, in some maybe balanced proportion. Okay? Are we communicating? So don't get confused. Nihilism, nothing to do, don't do anything, or, or quietism with pacifism. Pacifism is not passive. It's very dynamic to choose like the Dalai Lama says, to be compassionate for those who harm you when you see the bad karma they're causing themselves. That's not doing nothing. That's not passive. That's pacifist. That's not passive. That's great peace. There's great peace in that. That's not quietism, like doing, being attached to quiet, quietism. You know, I always say this, great peace, nirvanic peace, is beyond the polarities of peace and of quiet and noise. Any other questions? Uh, this is the last question. It's not too heavy, but um, it has to do with somewhat of a problem. Um, I think only Yeshe and Robert have met my wife of a long time. And um, all those years, I've, I still have a problem with trying um, to get her to undo the overdoing. And it... Yeah, Some, that is a problem. Sometimes it's But funny. is it her problem or your problem? Pro now well, it's you, our problem. Either way. We don't want this, do we? Give it back to Bill. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's, it's the middle way, you know? Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> How did this but, become our problem? <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, it, it sometimes She's it's not fun. even here. Who? Who? See? Are you talking about you, Marvin you or my wife? wife? <laughs> Is there a wife? Have you seen this alleged wife? <laughs> so, uh, Go now, on. If, if you're going to answer this, it'll be, okay. it'll, that will depend on, make me depend on what I buy the CD at the end that Robert produces oh, well, now and you, take home. You're giving yeah, me a real incentive. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, no, it's, it, it can be fun. I'm, I've taken up in retirement, the idea. What's the problem simplifying. besides that she's that, an overdoer? Is that we have two different viewpoints. Oh, that's of, hard to believe in a marriage. Well, no, it's not. Of course not. <laughs> of course not. But, you know, it's, we're, we're heading down the, the hill on, on our time and stuff like that. And I just wondered if there's a more convenient way of trying to accomplish that. My own example in doing <laughs> Only aggravates her. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> the least, you know. I can so, believe that. Um, I um, believe in doing things as simply as possible. And um, people say, what, what do you do in retirement? And I say, as little as possible. And I think that's a good answer because it means you do something, but not very much. No, so I was just wondering if in this interrelationship, uh, from the Buddhist point of view or what, is there any hope? in this kind of thing? No. Not really. Okay. Um, because you can't fix your wife. I'm sorry? You can't fix your wife. 
she's not here. She's not, you know, I mean, are you planning an intervention that we all have to participate in? Or what are we talking about? There's no, what, hope for what? Hope that you're going to see everything the same all the time? In fact, is that even what, desirable? You want to be married to yourself? No. <laughs> not at all. So, so that's where that kind of thinking tends to. Now we could be funny and say, yes, you will agree in the end. You'll have the same view. You know what I'm talking about? But short of that, you know, um, life is relational. Everything is relational, you know, things relational. And that means different. Not one, but not totally separate either. So some overlap, some separation. And that's the dance. So, but, you know, just since you, you brought this up, and this is probably relevant to most of us, even if it's not about a spouse, you seem to be suggesting that she um, loves, she does too much or overdues, and you would like her to not be like that. I guess that's it. Right. Yeah. Is she retired or is she still uh, working or whatever she no. does? We're, we're both retired. Right. So, so you said you claim your way of being retired, your answer to the question about what do you do now that you're retired is as little as possible. And you kind of, I could see in your aura, smugly think that that's a great, great answer and that's like the right thing to do in retirement. Now, that's fine. I'm just teasing you. So, but what, what does she think is the thing to do in retirement? When people ask her, what does she say? Does she say, I don't know, knitting as many clothes as possible for children? Or does she say gardening and relaxing as much as possible? What does she say, taking care of Bill as much as possible? What does she think is, you know, what's her answer? What, speculate, let's, you know, role play. Be her for a moment. Dorothy, what are you doing in retirement? <laughs> no, I... I think she's just... No, playing. no, but you're not playing with the game. No, I probably... What is she... What's solution. her answer? What does she do? What does she say when people ask her, what does she do in retirement? What does she do with her time? No. What is her answer when people ask her, what does she do? What do you do, Dorothy, in retirement? Now that you're retired, what do you do? I think she'll say something like, um, she takes it easy, reads books, and um, has studied... Had, studied in the last few years some spirituality. I think that's what she would say. But she also finds problems and to-do problems all the time and solve problems. She's a great problem solver, I guess. But she sees all kinds of things that are in daily living. You come up. It's a question whether you see them as a problem or you don't see them as a problem. I tend not to see them as a problem. Well, that's why you're together, because you're different. You know, it's the yin and yang of things, right? So I guess that's how you two fit together, the screw and the nut, as they say. <laughs> two screws can't get married, you know, yeah. and two nuts, although these seem to be changing the law. Well, <laughs> she almost came here this week, but well. I'm sorry she hasn't. She didn't. Um, yeah. Yet to come. You know, you've heard me say this before. I'm going to say it again. I always say this, that a little acceptance goes a long way to changing the relationship, which is what really matters. Right? Yes. So, as I always say, how many here have tried to change their mate? And everybody goes, uh. And I say, and how many have been affected? Effective? And they go, uh. 
right? But a little acceptance goes a long way to what? Changing the relationship, which is the only point. So acceptance, that's the only hope, if there is hope. Anyway, you guys have gone pretty far together, so it doesn't sound too bad, too serious. It's probably not. Yeah, but I want to stress no. the acceptance part, that you have your personally centric view of how a retirement should go and what you're doing, doing as little as possible, as you put it, and that's different than hers. And never the twain shall meet. That's life, and that's like couplehood, and that's life, and also those are both just some, a concept, you know? You're not just doing as little as possible, and she's not just problem, solving problems, I'm sure. You know, you're just looking at a small piece of the puzzle and picking on that one. See, now you're making a problem. Maybe there's no problem there. Possible, yeah. Um, I would also suggest that uh, I can see you wearing you know, like an ear plug for here. When you're home, do you wear ear, ear um, you know, hearing aids? Yeah, yes. Have you tried not wearing them? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you asked that. So <laughs> what, what I've been I mean, known you gotta to do. get creative. What, what I've been known to do is when this gets going, <laughs> I look at her and I pull them out of my ears and walk backwards away from her. Huh? I'm not saying that's good. I'm just poking around here <laughs> to see what comes out. Don't don't quote me on that. I'll go. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> that you're going to buy. Excellent. You bet. <laughs> Thank you all. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Lama Suryadas's Awakening Now Hour. We very much appreciate your support and hope you will continue by going to mindpodnetwork.com slash suryadas and link to the donate button or go to the amazon.com link for all of your purchases. Namaste. Teresi wa te jiyato.